This is the Classic Rock and Metal Podcast, featuring all your favorite bands from the 70s and 80s. The old stuff, the new stuff, the news, interviews, everything you need for your hard rock and metal fix, right here, right now. Welcome to a special episode of the web's favourite classic rock and metal podcast. I'm Ollie Barnes and we have been away for a while, but as with all sleeping giants we wake up eventually and recent events certainly gave us a kick in the pants. We've lost a few of our numbers since we last assaulted your ears and most recently legendary metal producer and great friend Chris Sangarides joined that great talent roster in the sky. But every cloud has a silver lining, so at least Hendrix, Bowie, Lemmy and the rest will have someone decent to record and mix and whatever they're laying down up there, and we can reflect on a glittering career. So this is a show just for Chris and includes an archive interview from a few years back, but before that let's have a listen to one of his finest moments, as it was for the mighty Judas Priest, the unmistakable title track from the Grammy-nominated Painkiller.
I first met Chris Angaridis while he was recording Tokyo Blade's Thousand Men Strong album back in 2010-11. He invited me down to the Ecology Rooms and uh, we kept in touch on and off since then. While I was chronicling the recording of that particular Tokyo Blade album, he took time out for a quick chat. So without further ado, I give you the late, great Dark Lord himself, CT. Do you feel some kind of ownership for the, for that sound of the 70s and 80s, those rock and metal bands? Because oh, you, there were so many yeah, of them. Yeah, not ownership, more a part of it. I, I feel I have a, a real affinity with it because I was there. And whatever I did, good, bad or indifferent, it's there. It's, you know, I can't deny my, my past, you know. I wouldn't want to either because I, I really like it, <laughs> you know, but... There's a few, a few of my types, if you like, of, of person that was fortunate enough to begin in the 70s to do this job and are still sort of rattling on now, which is, uh, you know, 35 years. It's unbelievable, you know. Um, some of the bands, well, a lot of people I'm working with now weren't even born when I was making records, you know, in the first place. It was, it's it's really crazy but it doesn't seem to matter it doesn't matter the age differences where you work with people you're just there for the common good of that type of music that you're doing so it's 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 been brilliant i have to say i was going to um i mean do you get we're in a studio at the moment with tokyo blade yeah do you get pangs of nostalgia when guys like them and anvil come back in and, and you're doing yeah, I mean, basically, the differences between then and now, obviously, the money thing is uh, is is one thing. Uh, before, back in those days, it'd be somebody else paying for it. Now it seems to be the bands having to scrape the money together to do it. But what was funny was the, um, um, I guess, also to do with being younger, you were more into sort of horsing around a bit more. There was more of a social thing going on now. We're sort of, well, we've only got this amount of time, so let's get on with it. Having said that, as you've seen, we, you know, <laughs> it's all part of the process to have a, a bit of a good time with it all because it's it's all encompassing. So mm. it becomes part of it, yeah. Mm. The... Um I think one of the first ones. I mean, where did it all start with the metal bands? Was it was it was Sad Wings of Destiny yeah. the first? Yeah, it was. Priest. It, it, absolutely. Seventy six. Um, I was uh, an assistant on there on that record, and the engineer got sick, and they said carry on. So uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> Don't know if I still, you know. But the point was, I thought, right, I can either chicken this out and tell them no, I don't really, you know, not feel confident. But I didn't. I thought, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say, piss off your crap, you know. But luckily, they were very um, understanding. I suppose they, they were familiar with me because I was there for weeks beforehand working with them. So it was like, well, we know him. Let's see. And if he can, you know, so luckily, you know, what, uh, it worked. And that's kind of sort of spawned off the rest of it from there, I guess. Wow. <laughs> At which studio would that have been? That was at Morgan, right. Morgan in um, London, uh, North North London. But that was a a place that was uh, just brilliant for well rock and metal. We had everybody that was anybody coming through that place at one time or another. So it was a great learning ground to mm. to see and how it was all done. Yeah. Which, I mean, is the it's probably an unfair question, yeah. but 
is there one is there or is there an album which you're most proud of uh, and then it also goes on to perhaps who was who was the favorite to work with which might be an unfair mm. question but mm. is there a favorite oh gosh there's loads of favorites because what happens is if you if you are working with a band again and again and again that's obviously there's some reason why you're doing it and normally it's because you have such a hoot together you know you like each other and because that's that's really a big part of it aside from you know yes you can get a good sound and all the rest of it you really have to be able to get on and get to understand what these guys are trying to do and you're sort of an all-encompassing uh entity in you know sorting out the squabbles sorting out you know what song you know a direction for them to take after four albums what do we do now still the same band same guitar you know what do we do um but i guess i i really love working with anvil and priest love working with it and i love working with um what are they called uh uh, Thin Lizzy, but of course, you know, <laughs> that was terrific working with, that was kind of, um, sometimes it would be a Gary Moore solo record that we would do in, the next day would be a Phil Lynott solo, then it would be a Thin Lizzy, then it would be a Gary Moore again, and it was just seemed to be going on for years, and that was brilliant, because they were terrific, I had to give Phil big thanks for actually turning around one day and saying, I'm thinking, you know, would you like to produce Thin Lizzy? And I looked in my diary and said, well, I'm free for the next 40 years, so that shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like this kid and one of my favourite bands has said, come and produce it. And I thought, well, what do I do? And I thought, well, I'm a fan. So as a fan, do I like this? Yes, no, whatever, and make it sound like I would want it to be. Wow. That's and that's the best bloody way of doing it, you know, because if you're not a fan of it, well, what are you doing? It just becomes a, a job that, yeah, well, record it any old how and who cares. But when you do care about it, that's when you get the best results, I think. Is that also why, I mean, you touched on Anvil and, and, and squabbling in, in the mm. studio, not specifically for them, but... Do you feel like not the, the the wife in the partnership, but you've got you're breaking them up, and sometimes oh yeah, it does, you, it does get like that, and you and you'll have you know individual you know uh, uh, band members coming up to you at various points during the recording, and, and you know spilling the beans about you know this guy and that guy and and whatnot, and uh, you know you, you just have to. It, they, but what they look they're looking for reinsure a reassurance basically are they doing what the, is it right is it good is it and they always question themselves an artist will always do that he never wants to stop he always can do a better solo a better vocal and the truth of the matter is well maybe you could at some other point but we've only got you know this amount of time to do something in and what you have to do is get the best you can possibly get within that time structure you come back in a year's time maybe you can play the solo better maybe you can sing it better but that's no good you have to do it now mm. you know so you're constantly steering that ship definitely to get to oh, the end point bloody hell yeah you you're thinking it's, it's like a big game of chess you know how do i do it if i do this then that's going to happen but if that happens then what i've just done is a load of crap so you really are like four or five moves ahead where your brain's at and the band thinking what's he doing you know <laughs> but if certain things aren't in place then you can't proceed to the next uh, you know thing that you do when you make an album you know so you have an end 
game in your head and and you sort of try and steer it to get to that and <laughs> the difference is there are random things that happen that you don't expect to <laughs> on the way there <laughs> which you'd have to be you know able to deal with like you know girl trouble you know band probably you know was same there, old stuff were there ever uh, any albums that the people will know you know yeah. the famous that you thought at some point this is not going to happen oh yeah i mean i i the one it's it's basically one record that i went into open eyes thinking we were going to do a really good album and that was halloween and the trouble was uh, with all respect to them, they, their guitar player Kai Hansen had left and apparently he turned out to be the, the songwriter, main songwriter. And uh, we had forced with this position where there was power struggles within the band, all wanting to be the, the songwriters, whatever. And they came up with a bunch of material that was so diverse from what they do that I was arguing with them from the get-go, look, this, we don't have material, we do not have an album. But they were insistent, it was their money, da-da-da-da-da, and we did it. And basically it came out and, as I thought, didn't do as well as it should have done. Um, did pretty well, I have to say that, because uh, it did, but it didn't do what it should have done. That's, you know, from a million sales that they had before, it should have gone up to two and three and so on. It didn't even reach that at all because it was that diverse and confused the fans completely. And, of course, I got blamed for it. <laughs> it's my fault, of course, I didn't understand them. But I saw them a few years ago and they've apologised and have grown up and become fine, upstanding men of the community. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's... You can't, I mean, you know, they were in a situation back then that they, they were really successful, had as much money as you could possibly want to make a great album, and they, they dropped the ball. Simple as that. Bless them, you know. But good luck to them. They're still rocking, and, and that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's also, there's a lot of talk these days about recreating the 80s sounds. Mm. A lot of 80s bands that are coming back, a lot of stubborn around, and there is that talk of, of recreating it and using analog tape and all yeah. that. Now, what are the new, what are the bands getting from CT now then? Well, in basically the same as they ever got, but with all the technology that we have. And I've always banged on about any new piece of technology that used to come in, you know, from the get-go when I started, was embraced and wow it can do this it can do that how can i use that within my music trouble is nowadays is uh, and many of the uh, smaller record companies are, are guilty of this as well is to give a, a, a rock band a couple of grand and go off and buy a computer and do it on that and well with respect they all sound the same they're no way uh, up to scratch um because you can't suddenly be a recording engineer, a producer, um, you know, a band, uh, just like that. You know, you do need all these people. Um, but, ah, Andrew. At this point in the discussion, we were briefly interrupted by Andy Bolton from Tokyo Blade as he returns after an extended period of time using the studio's sanitation facilities. 
Was it a good one? It was a flipping wonderful one. Thank you. Very good, <laughs> mate. Leave you to it. Yes, jolly good. As you you shall have left it to us in there. <laughs> Got a picture of it. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, where was I? Uh, technology. Was yeah, technology, there you go. So I think I was trained in an era and I used that training and developed my own stuff, um, ways of doing things, because that's how everybody does it. And that's what I apply to everything now. I use, I use the, the Pro Tools and, and whatnot of this, but not the way, I don't record on it. I use it as an editing platform. I use Radar, which I think is a far superior um, sounding uh, recording device. It operates like a tape recorder, so I'm comfortable with rewinding, but I'm not rewinding anything, it's digital, but I think I am. Yeah. So it feels like, like it used to. And basically valve technology, vintage mics, great amps, and that's kind of what it is. And because I, I come from the school where you have to play it, you have to do it, and there, there it is, to the best of your ability, it kind of gives it that 70s, 80s sound because there was no other way of doing it. I mean, I can make something sound like it's completely tight as a duck's ass, not one mistake in every note perfectly pitched with the machines, but why do that? That, that just rapes the heart of, of, the, of the material, as far as I'm concerned. I don't like listening to things like that. I don't like putting on a brand new album and going, who the hell's this? And only when the voice comes in, you go, oh, it might be this band or that band. It's, it's, it's a very sorry state of affairs. They don't seem to uh, you know, have a, a pride in, 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 their, in their sound. Although they'll argue, oh yeah, it's a great heavy guitar sound and the drum. But no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, to create something that's unique and you put something on and go, that's it, that's Tokyo Blade, that's, that's Judas Priest, that's... Like these bands do have that sound. And they sort of developed that sound from when they started with their producers at the time. And, and that's kind of how it carries on. And no matter who they work with, it will still sound kind of like they do, mm. you know. So is the future for bands, I mean, obviously a lot of young people now, they're, they're just, they are recording in their bedroom, which is fine, mm. it allows them to do it. Sure. But is the future of the industry bands with a producer at the helm still? I think so. Any, in this music, for sure. Mm. Without a shadow of a doubt, uh, because it's, it's not going to, it won't sound the same. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and that's what people want to hear. They want to hear that. I don't know what it is that makes it sound like it's an 80s band or a 70s band. You know what I mean? You put it on and go, oh, yeah, I like that. And why is it? It's just, I, like I say, a way of doing it that they used to do back then. And if you know the way that was done, then you approach it yourself like this. But you would still use whatever you had, whether you did it on Pro Tools or tape or digital or whatever. You still take the same approach. You guys play it all together in a room and then we fix what's wrong you know, dropping in and, and, and whatever. And, and that's kind of how it, how I think is what we mean about the 80s and the 70s sound. Right. You know, so when us poor old buggers, you know, shuffle off this mortal coil, hope <laughs> somebody's been listening out there to take over. <laughs> Why has there been none of it left? Exactly. Uh, you've seen, or you've worked with a lot of what people would class as rock stars. Mm. 
Um, and those rock stars, thankfully, are still rock stars. Yeah, that's there's right. There's an overriding question now as to where the next ones are coming from. Tell me about it. I know. I keep wondering every year you see the lineup for Donington for all the major festivals and it's the same people that we've all known and loved just juggled around. Now I'm going to do this. Where are exactly? Where are they? And the, I think the whole reason because why that's happened is the ones that became big in the 70s, 80s, whatever are still big because we hold them in a certain light. It was a big achievement in those days, millions of records sold. So they became a bit of a household name. Nowadays, you don't have to sell that many to, to be sort of successful in, in, in the eyes of everybody because it's just, just much smaller in that respect. There's no big investment from, from major labels to, for this type of music. They don't see it as a, for whatever reasons they don't understand as, as a big money spinner. But quite frankly, why, I, I don't understand why they don't, because to me, you look at the, the old bands, ACDC, whatever, that catalogue keeps selling and keeps going and makes them a fortune. Why don't you try and get somebody now to do what those bands did then, so that when these guys stop playing, you'll have another load that will be doing that and keep churning out for uh, a purely business thing. It makes perfect sense to me. I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I think probably it's because there's not been the people that actually give a shit within these companies left anymore. Back again in 70s, 80s days, there were loads of record people that understood what it was to be a metal band. Mm. There aren't that many in a position to actually say, right, I'm going to sign you guys. You know, it, it doesn't work like that anymore. You know, so it's a very sad state of affairs. And I really don't know what the answer is, except that I think from the Indies, something will rise up and you know kick him in the back of the head and we get some new revivalist movement of, of some sort you know like there was the new wave of british heavy metal kind of a trend it needs some kind of fad to to kick it in but again metal rock fans they're not that sort of people they it's it, do you know what i mean it, they 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 don't like falsehoods they don't like bullshit they just want pure you know honest stuff and it, I, I keep going around it all the time. It's something I keep asking myself. Will it ever happen? Will it ever be like it used to be? I'm not saying that that was a great thing, but how do we keep this thing going mm. at that level when, when all the, the big acts from my day, who are still the big acts today, give up in a few years' time? Because you can only do so much touring, yeah. I guess, you know. So well, I, suppose, I mean, there is a lot of metal about, but even the, there is that camp that you've got the sort of new metal and mm -hmm. hardcore which came i guess out of grunge and that's and right that's right and, but that's a very different camp oh than the totally one exactly it really is it's it's nothing that's the mainstream that's isn't it? right that's right we're sort of still underground you know which is amazing you know i started off listening to underground music and i'm still doing blooming underground music and it's but do you, not think, do you not think that the fans like it that way? Of course they do. Of course they do. It's, it's I did. So why yeah. why wouldn't anybody else? That's it's all part of it. Discovering somebody and you know telling your mates about them and 
you know, watching your um, them sort of rise to, to stardom, if you will, you know, fantastic. Mm. And you think, yeah, that's my, I, I knew that lot when they were playing at the Dog and Duck and, you know, yeah. it's all part of it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. The, the internet obviously is, is a, a big change mm. to everything. And yeah. a lot of the bands I was talking to, obviously Andy and Tokyo yeah. Blade and, and another band said the same thing. The internet has largely killed the record sales. Mm -hmm but is allowing so many of these bands now to do what they're doing. That's right. Blade managed to contact the fans yep. to do it that way. Yep. And I guess for you as well, as as these bands are thinking of getting back together, you can be aware of that. Oh yeah. And then you're in contact with them Absolutely as well. right. That's, That's exactly how it works, yeah. And it's brilliant for that because I can get to speak to people that actually buy the stuff I do and see from them what they think about it. And it's great. It's really, really good. That's marvellous. And like I say, technology is great, you know, but you've got to use it in the correct way is, is my theory. Don't let it dictate to you what you're supposed to be doing with yourself. You know, amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I mean, there's the contact with the fans and also, but also a lot of these bands would not have even imagined that that you were available to that's do right. this stuff. Well, that's exactly right, because there's, there is a perception amongst quite a few uh, people out there, and it's been the story of my life. Oh, no, we were thinking of getting you for our album, but you were too expensive. And I said, well, how do you know? Did you ask me? Did you ask my management? No. But that's the perception, yeah. because of you know certain successes one might have had. You know, you're perceived to be this iconic whatever, and it's that's not how I see myself. I have to admit, I can't. You know, I am a geezer that loves doing rock music, recording it, whichever way. You know, and if all the all it takes is for me to like what it is that I've been offered to do, and it'll be a yes, and we'll find a way of doing it, and that's it. There's a message for everybody. Else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Call me on. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we can. That number yes, at the end. Is very cheap. Yeah. <laughs> that number at the end of the show, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can't finish up without talking about um, about Anvil. I yeah. know we touched on it, but <clears throat> the the whole reason for this show was that I and other people kind of realised that we was we'd almost we were woken from a coma because obviously in the 70s and 80s you listened to a lot of the music yeah. the 90s it just went yeah. uh, and the noughties well I don't know it was a mixture of the two and yeah. then I think people thought hang on a minute where's all that music I used to listen to yeah. and Anvil came out and as Sasha realised yeah. I can't believe they're still going yeah. and now of course with the internet we can look and go holy shit they're all still going. going. Yeah, that's and I right. Could buy a new album from yeah. them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so Anvil did so much. I mean, it was yeah. it was a film, and it, but it was about and about the band, and it reconnected. But also, I mean, it it was it was huge for everybody. And I, yes. there was a turn there. Wasn't that's it? absolutely right. It, uh, genuinely, the, it really sort of, you know, everybody I've met after that movie, that's our story. That's you know, in bands. I said, this is exactly what I said. Yeah, I know. And that's what they're really chuffed about it, that, that people have awoken for the whole, everybody. Like they say, it's not just our story, it's about everybody that struggled to see their dream, you know, to realise it, you know, and, and doing whatever it took to get wherever. And who knows where they are now or where I am or where anybody else might be, you know, it's, it's, oh, it, it, I mean, Sasha got in touch with me. Sure, yeah, great. I remembered him from the day and, and, you know, we came in here and there were the cameras and 
I remember conversations we were having with the band going, look, what the, what the, what is going on here? You know, I mean, are we going to look like bloody Spinal Tap? Are we going to be taken, you know, made fun of? Is this going to damage the career? I mean, it was a real worry, you know, but quite frankly, we should have realized that Sasha wasn't there for a hatchet job. He was a friend, genuine, and he wanted to portray what actually has happened and to make a movie that has a beginning and a middle and an end out of random footage there's no script i mean we the amount of times people say what a great script to me i said what script you know it's it well i've been hired to act as myself you know what, what are you talking about it was real you know what you see is what happened and so to make something cohesive that has a storyline through it is a, is a great achievement. I couldn't believe it when I first saw that, that movie at the, at the premiere. I was just, who is this? Oh my God, that's me, Jesus. Look at the state of me then. You know, it, well, all of us were just sitting there going, what's happened, you know? And then luckily, like you say, it's connected and you can go on the internet and find all these bands still at it and it's wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, more power to it, I say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I could go on for hours, but I'll probably let you get back to the day job. Yeah, right? man, back to the day job, eh? On a Sunday, <laughs> could have been at the Harvest Festival, don't you know? <laughs> CT, thanks a lot, mate. My pleasure, Oliver, thank you. Cheers. A great chat with a great man. When I met Chris, I'd only just started this podcast and had no real idea what I was doing, and he was amazingly supportive and helpful generally, but with technical help and advice too. I never met anyone who had a bad word to say about Chris, which, considering he's worked with thousands of musicians over the years, is a testament to the kind of guy he was. He'll be sorely missed, and it was poignant that he mentioned in that interview what would happen to the sound that we love on our albums when the old guards such as him passed on. So here's hoping the new breed take heed and don't bury themselves in Pro Tools and the like. But, if not, we have a long list of classic albums thanks to Chris and others in the same mould. So we'll finish with a newer version of an old track from an older band, from that Tokyo Blade Thousand Men Strong album, a reworking of their classic Night of the Blade. Until next time, thanks for listening, and thanks to Chris for all the memories and great tunes. We'll miss you, fella. Ta-da.